0: Well, Grace Bible Church, uh, I'm glad you could worship with us this morning. These are uh, obviously pretty, pretty crazy times that we are living in. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, I got an email from a friend of mine. He's a, a pastor of a house church in East Asia, and he was writing to tell me that uh, because of the coronavirus, everything had been shut down in his entire city, so his church was not... Uh, able to meet. They weren't able to gather. The government had said no, no gatherings whatsoever. And so I prayed for him, and I prayed for his family, and I prayed for his church, and it never crossed my mind that, that we would be affected so dramatically by the coronavirus at that point in time. But uh, here we are, uh, right? In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, uh, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but in fact encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're not forsaking our gathering together because we live in this day and age, it's a wonderful time that we can actually uh, gather together virtually and be together and worship together. It's not a a perfect substitute and it's not a permanent substitute, but we can get together and we can worship together and we can... uh, You know, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, and proclaim our confidence that Jesus is still on His throne and He's still Lord of all. But I want you to know uh, that the reason we're we're doing that this this week, uh, and we're going online, is not because we're afraid. The decision to go online is a decision of love. Right? We want to do all that we can to uh, protect our members and to protect our community. We don't want to do anything that would unnecessarily. Put people at risk, and so uh, we thank you for, uh, you know, just being willing to be be flexible and for us to go online. Like I said, uh, I don't anticipate that this is going to be permanent, but for the time being, this just gives us an opportunity uh, to love one another. It's not going to last forever, so that means I really need you to pay attention to what's going on uh, on our social media and on our website. We'll try to keep you informed as to what we're going to do next week. Obviously, it's a pretty fluid situation, so we'll keep you informed as to what we're doing. Uh, I also want to remind you that uh, generosity is an essential part of worship, right? If you want to know the genuine condition of my heart, then all you'd have to do is do a quick audit of how I spend my time and my money. And if you looked at those two things, you would see what I really love in that moment. And so I want to encourage you, continue to be generous. Uh, Obviously, we're not uh, passing a virtual plate, so if you want to uh, get online, you want to make a donation, Uh, You can get on our website, grace-bible.org. But really beyond that, I want to encourage you in this time to be generous with all of your resources, the people around you, because when people are under stress, what do they do? Well, they go to the grocery store and they buy all of the toilet paper and all of the hand sanitizer and all of the bottles of water, and they take it to their own house and they hoard it for their own family, and somebody calls and says, hey, you got any extra toilet paper? No, we don't have any extra, right? We only have enough for our family, right? This closet is filled right but we can't share that's what happens when people are under stress right they're not generous and they don't share so church we need to be the exact opposite of that whether it's your finances or your time or your talents look at your friends and your family and beyond them to your neighbors and to strangers and think about ways that you can be generous because that's essentially what grace is right right Grace means that God looked at us in our, our abject poverty and he said, There's there's nothing that you can give back to me, but you need all that I have. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you my absolute most treasured resource. I'm gonna give you my son. That's the grace of God. And he gave us his son. Freely. That's the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of the gospel of the grace of God. That we receive eternal life freely in Jesus because God gave his most precious resource to to us. And we want to be those kind of people, right? So when all the world around us is getting super stressed and they're hoarding, we're not going to hoard. We're going to be generous, right? We're going to open up uh, the pantry that we have, whether it's time or talent or our financial treasures, and we're just going to give and give and give, right? Because these are really super stressful times. They're troubling times. In fact, uh, I'm sure that some of you are really deeply troubled uh, about coronavirus itself. Maybe you have uh, family members or friends who have some health issues and it makes them very vulnerable. Uh, that's really troubling. Um, maybe some of you feel deeply troubled about uh, what's going to potentially happen within your own family, or maybe it's your own personal health and you feel uh, very vulnerable. Uh, I've got a neighbor who's got COPD, and uh, you know I'm praying for him because he's very vulnerable right now. Uh, Or maybe you feel troubled because it seems like this is a huge overreaction, and you're troubled as you look at your retirement portfolio and you think, oh no, now I'm not going to be able to retire because the whole world is overreacting to this virus. Or maybe you feel troubled because classes got canceled for a week, and you're wondering, you know, am I going to be able to complete my classes? Are they going to hold graduation? Will I get to graduate? Will I be the first class uh, at Texas A&M that doesn't get to go through graduation? Or maybe I go through graduation. But what's the economy going to be like when I get out? Can I get a job this summer? Can I get a job next year? Right? It's it's just it's deeply troubling times. But you know what? We're not the first generation to live through troubling times. Uh, if I uh, read the Gospels correctly, the disciples lived in really troubling times. There was uh, poverty and disease and political unrest. They lived under the, the thumb of of the Roman Empire. Uh, There was heavy taxation. There was limited freedom, right? So they're under Rome as a a band of followers of Jesus. They were also rejected by the Jewish authorities. So there really isn't a safe place for them, except when they're with Jesus. Then they're safe, right? So uh, in the midst of a a stormy sea, Jesus brings calm. Or in the midst of 5,000 people clamoring to be fed, Jesus feeds them all, right? So the only safe place for them is with Jesus, And then Jesus said to his followers, I'm leaving and you can't come. And you know what? They were troubled, right? They were deeply troubled. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus says, little children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So here's the setting. Jesus uh, is about to have his, or has just had his, his final meal with his disciples. Right? He knows it's the final meal, but they don't know it's the final meal. But he said some things in the course of this meal that are deeply troubling to them. Right? They're troubled by the fact that Jesus just washed their feet. That was really awkward. Right? Uh, they're troubled by the fact that uh, they didn't get up and wash Jesus' feet. They're troubled by the fact that Jesus said, I want you to wash one another's feet. And they're troubled by the fact they don't want to wash one another's feet. Right? And then they're troubled by the fact that Jesus has said, I'm going to leave and you can't come. They're troubled by the fact that Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me. They're troubled by the fact Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. They're deeply, deeply troubled. And what they're most troubled by is that Jesus is going to leave them, and they're going to be alone, because being with Jesus has been the only safe place for them for the last three years. Now, what's interesting is that word for troubled is really graphic. It means like to stir up or shake up, right? To cause cause turmoil, inside or outside. And the disciples are in turmoil. I would say that our modern word for that is anxiety. I read recently that uh, 18% of Americans suffer from an anxiety disorder, right? Not just a little anxiety, but an anxiety disorder, 18%. And that is described as an epidemic of anxiety. Now, that said... I would propose that right now, about 100% of the population on planet Earth is under some pretty significant level of anxiety because of this turmoil right, that we're in. It's, it's trying times, and so everyone is feeling it right now. Uh, when my kids were little, they experienced anxiety. They were troubled in heart when uh, it went dark every night, right? And we turn out the lights. But what they were really afraid of was not the dark. What they were afraid of was being alone in the dark. Because when I came into the room, all of a sudden the dark became fun again, right? We'd pull out flashlights, and we'd tell stories, and we'd tell jokes. They weren't afraid of the dark. They were afraid of being alone in the dark and powerless over the things that frightened them in the dark. What the disciples are afraid of is being alone. They're afraid of being alone and being powerless over the things that are causing them fear. And in the midst of that, Jesus says to them, do not be troubled. Now, I don't know how you're going to take this, and this may be extremely troubling, but uh, all of us are going to go to sleep tonight, we're going to wake up tomorrow morning, and none of our circumstances will have changed. They'll they'll still be equally troubling. So can you then uh, experience the peace of God in the midst of circumstances that don't change, in the midst of circumstances that remain troubling? Or or how do you uh, calm a troubled heart? I would say it's it's very direct. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Or if I can retranslate that, he says, trust me. Trust me. How do you calm a troubled heart? You you trust in the promises of Jesus. You really believe what he says is true. Jesus doesn't make any promises to them to change any of their circumstances. In fact, he promises them, your circumstances are actually going to get worse. You can still experience my peace. So in a few moments, Matt's going to come up, and he's going to give us some really specific reasons why we can experience God's peace through the promises of Jesus, even in the midst of troubling times, even when our circumstances don't change. Would you pray with me? Father, I do pray that even in this moment, we would prepare our hearts to trust Jesus in a deeper way than we have before. Maybe some of us are not stirred up or anxious about uh, coronavirus specifically maybe there are other uh, issues of health or relationships or our circumstances with with, with jobs or um, Father whatever it may be that's stirring up and troubling our hearts I pray that in a new and a fresh way we would learn to listen to the promises of Jesus and we trust him we take him at his word And as a result, even in the midst of these troubling times, we would be people who don't turn inward, but we would have the capacity to turn outward, and we'd be a blessing of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, for several
1: uh, weeks, really months, we've been planning on talking about John 14 and beginning this series on the upper room discourse. Uh, and as events have unfolded this week, as you'd imagine, I, I've second guessed myself a little bit, kind of g- gone back and forth. Should I, should I shift my topic to something that might be more directly applic- applicable to a global pandemic? I don't know what that would be if there was an Old Testament passage that I missed, Daniel versus the virus or something like that, that maybe would be more directly applicable. Uh, But then as that initial wave of anxiety about what I was going to talk about sort of subsided, uh, I began to read John 14 again and kind of like Brian was saying earlier, realized, no, it's absolutely what I think we need to talk about this morning. That, that the most important thing we could talk about this morning is really what I, I think the Lord already had planned for us to talk about, uh, not just months ago, but, but from eternity past. He knew what we were going to be talking about this morning, and, it, and it is, it's this question of who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And we're going to talk about Jesus as the way, the only way to life. And As I thought about it this week, I thought there's no more important question that we could be asking ourselves this morning than who is Jesus and what does that mean for me, especially in the midst of troubling times. If you ask people in our world right now, Uh, who Jesus is or what he means to them, you're going to get a whole lot of different answers. Some people are going to say that he is God. Some people are going to say he's just a man. Some people are going to say he's a great teacher. Some people might even say he doesn't exist. Some people are going to take the parts of Jesus that they like and they're going to cobble together some image of Jesus that fits what they want. I was thinking about that this week, how a lot of times we... We tend to approach Jesus like we might approach a box of chocolates. And I don't mean in the Forrest Gump sense, like you never know what you're going to get but instead that with a with a box of chocolates you get to choose what you want right so you think about those assorted boxes of chocolates you can pick the the raspberry filled ones and avoid the caramel ones or vice versa or whatever uh, i'm going to show you this is a real uh photograph that i took uh, a few weeks ago from our office upstairs somebody had left us one of those assorted boxes of chocolates upstairs and i came to grab one and somebody nobody's admitted it yet somebody had done this uh, they had taken uh, one chocolate and they had eaten half of it, and placed the other half back in the box. and And I saw that. And this was even you know even before we had a worldwide pandemic. This behavior is absolutely unacceptable. Right? This behavior was unacceptable. I'm pretty sure there's something in the the Bible about this. You don't you do not eat half of a chocolate and then put the other half back. You eat the whole thing. You don't get to choose that you want that. One half. The only time that might be acceptable is if maybe like you and your spouse, this was the only food you had left. And then you could split it in half and you could eat that and that could be your last meal. But typically, you don't do this, you take the whole thing. And I thought about that because I think often the way uh, whoever did that approached that piece of chocolate, that's how we think about Jesus. Well, I can take the parts of Jesus I like. I can take this half. I can take this aspect. I can take this piece. And I can cobble together some version of Jesus that, that meets my perceived needs. But, but one of the things we've just been singing and what we're going to see in John 14 is Jesus doesn't give us that option. Jesus says, hey, I have great news. And the great news is if you're troubled, if you're afraid, if you're worried about the future, if death scares you, if sickness scares you, if, if the devil scares you, if life itself feels like it's too much and too chaotic for you, I have great news. And the great news is Jesus is going to say, I'm going to lead you to a place where you won't ever have to worry again about sickness, about death, about sin, about chaos, about you won't have to worry about any of that stuff. But here's the deal. Jesus is going to say, I'm the only way to get there. And if you want to go there, you need to place all of your hope, like we just sang, all of your hope in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I know that there are two groups of people watching us or listening to us this morning. One group of you, you may not really know where you stand with Jesus or, or on the question of who Jesus is. And so really what I hope... By the end of the morning, what I I hope that you'll come to is an understanding that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus offers life, eternal life, where you can have peace, not only now but forever. That all who know Jesus, Jesus is going to say the door is wide open, right? The, The great news is Jesus says, I'm the way to get to the Father. I'm the way to get to eternal life, but anybody can come. And then the other group are going to be those of you who know Jesus Christ. And what Jesus will do in this passage is he's going to beautifully commission his disciples. He's going to say, I'm going to send you out into the world filled with fear, uncertainty, chaos, anxiety. I'm going to send you out into the world, but I'm not going to send you out alone. And what I want you to do, what I want you to do is represent and proclaim me. Be a light in the darkness. Be a voice of peace in the midst of anxiety and fear. And so Jesus will say to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Just as Brian read a few minutes ago. Why not? Well, Jesus will say this, everyone's invited to God's house. Everyone's invited to God's house. Jesus has a great place for you. But he's the only way to get there. And my prayer is wherever you are this morning, that, that, that you will dig deeply into the hope of Jesus Christ. Let's look at John chapter 14 for a few minutes. I'm going to start in verse 1. Brian read these verses a few minutes ago, but let me read them again. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus begins by saying this, God has a home for his people. Jesus had just told them, hey, I'm going to go away, but the good news is, I'm only going away for a little while. I'm going to make a place for you, and then I'm going to come back. Now, we don't have children's ministry this morning. But one of my favorite activities to watch uh, when we do have children's ministry is I love watching those of you who have uh, nursery age kids, two, three, four, five, as you strategize how to drop them off at the nursery. Because many of them are right at that separation anxiety phase of their lives. And you've experienced when you go to drop them off, you round that corner and they see that you're going to leave them in a room and you're going to walk away. They begin to cry. They cling to your leg. They scream and they howl. And so some of you have developed strategies, haven't you? So you walk down that hall and that kid goes, where are we going, mommy? All right, maybe you evade. You don't tell them. You'll see when we get there. Maybe maybe you lie. You say, we're, we're going to disneyland right and or something along those lines you make something up because you know what's going to happen when you round the corner and i watch you round the corner and then they see that room and right as they begin to cry you you physically toss them to the nursery worker and you run back down the hall what do we call that separation anxiety they think i'm going to be alone mom and dad are leaving me behind and they may never come back Jesus had just told the disciples, I'm going to go away. You can't come where I'm going. And and you see this turmoil begin to happen. Why can't we come with you? Where are you going? How are we going to find the way? And Jesus goes, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because I'm going to to make a place. Says in God's house, there are many, many dwelling places. There are enough dwelling places for everybody. And Jesus says, you're worried about the world you live in. You're worried about the life you are called to lead as a representative of me in this world. He says, don't worry, I'm going to go and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you with me. I'm not leaving you behind forever. God has a home for his people. And the great news is Jesus is going to say that the door is wide open in the sense that everybody is invited so that when you read through the rest of the New Testament, you see these passages like this one. He wants all people, to be saved, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I don't know, I don't know everybody watching this morning, I don't know where you are again, I don't know where you are with Jesus, but here's what I do know is that that God made you, that God loves you, and he wants you to know him. God wants you to know Jesus. And so Jesus will tell his disciples, I'm going to go make a home for all those who know me, for all those who trust me, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to bring you with me so you don't have to worry. There's not going to be any more death, sickness, sin, no more enemies. They'll all be defeated. And how does Jesus do that? Well, Jesus, in just, just a little while after this, after this sermon to his disciples, he, he dies on a cross for our sin." And then he rose again, conquers death once and for all. You're afraid of death? We're all afraid of death on some level. Jesus beats it. He says, all who trust in me, the door's wide open. And it's not limited, not limited by, by race. It's not limited by gender. It's not limited by where you're from. It's not even limited by what you've done or not done. Galatians 3.28 Paul would say there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Why? For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. So the door is wide open wherever you came from, whoever you are. Everybody who trusts in Jesus for eternal life has the hope of a place forever where they'll live with God. So God has a home for his people. But then Jesus goes on and he says, I'm the way to get there. Jesus is the only way to get there. Look at verse 4 through 11 with me. Jesus says, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works. Themselves. So Thomas asks a a pretty legitimate question. He says, hey Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way there? And Jesus' answer is, hey, follow me. I'm the way there. Just follow me and I will will get you there. Now, I'm going to tell you something about me. When I am traveling with somebody, if, if we're in two different cars and the person, the other person says, I know the way, just follow me. I hate that. I hate being in that position. Just this last weekend, I was in that position. There was another guy uh, that I, I was trying to follow to a, a location and he said, we were in Dallas, he goes, I'm gonna drive kind of slowly so that you can follow me uh, so we can get where we're going. And so we get in the car and I felt nervous right away. And his idea of slowly was, I'm only gonna go 20 miles over the speed limit. I was driving a, uh, a 2013 Ford Fiesta that when you hit the accelerator, it goes, I'll think about it, right? That was the, that was the car that I was driving. So this guy is just taking off and I can't keep up with him and I'm stressed. He says, follow me and I'll get you there. I go, I don't think you will. So I resonate with the disciples anxiety in this moment. Jesus goes, I am the way I am the truth. I am the life. And they're going, but, but show us where you're going. And so one of them says, Jesus, you, you show us the Father, and that's good enough. Just, just give us some sort of vision of God, and we'll believe you. And Jesus says, don't you understand? The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. I represent the will of the Father. Why? Because Jesus is fully God and fully man. And here's what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God has a home for his people. The only way to get there is through Jesus. So so again, John, writing later in the New Testament, he would say this. He'd say, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. He says, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. He says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John has been listening to what Jesus said. And he says, there's only one way. There's only one way. You can believe something really, really, really sincerely and still be wrong. Because the issue is not how sincerely you believe something; the issue is, have you placed your faith, your hope, in the truth? Uh, in 1985, there was a man named Michael Lewis who was flying home from uh, overseas. He was he was uh, trying to get home from London to uh, Oakland, California. But as he was boarding the airplane, um, he he misunderstood some of the instructions and instead of getting on a plane to Oakland California he got on a plane to go to Auckland New Zealand and so he flew in the utter opposite direction and uh, did not realize until he was well on his way that he was headed to Auckland, New Zealand. And, and he said later, it really sounded like they said Oakland because they talked a little bit differently at the gate than I was used to. And so I got on the wrong plane. And, he, and, and, you know, the airline said, we asked him several times, are you sure you're going to Auckland? And he said, you asked me, am I sure I'm going to Auckland? And I was sure I was going to Auckland. He, he got the moniker in the press, uh, wrong way, Mike, wrong way, Mike. Now, when he got on that plane, he believed in his soul that he was going to Oakland. But he was going to Auckland. He was going to the wrong place. And here's what Jesus says. There's only one way. And the question that we all have to grapple with is, do we place our hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ alone? Jesus doesn't really leave us the option of picking and choosing. Jesus doesn't leave us the option of saying, maybe there's some other way I can find life. He says, if you want to go to the Father, it's through me. Now again, the great news is, arms wide open. Jesus says, you want to come, come on. But you got to go through me. So again, as we think about where our world is right now and the fear that we're facing, I don't think there's any more important question that you could ask yourself this morning. Do you believe in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life? And if you haven't, will you? And so the disciples are grappling still with this. Who exactly is this we're following? And it seems like at this point they believe in him. But they're also struggling also struggling. Because they know him and they've trusted him, but now they're afraid because he's about to leave. And so as, as Jesus digs deep into this idea that you want to get to the Father, you've got to come through me, they go, okay, I, I get that. But Jesus, here's, here's the other reality and the last fear that they seem to face in this passage is, hey, Jesus, but you, you just told us you're going to leave. What are we going to do now? Why are you leaving? Why don't you just take us with us now? Why, why do you have to go and, and prepare a place? What are we going to do in the meanwhile? And here's how Jesus is going to answer them. He's going to say, I'm the way to get to the Father. And you're going to get there. But as you wait, what I want you to do, he's going to say, I want you to proclaim to a world of fear and chaos and turmoil who I am. And I'm not going to leave you alone. He says, the Spirit travels with us. Look at verses 12 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then down in verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So Jesus says, you're not going to be alone. I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place, but while I'm gone, you're not going to be alone. If you have trusted in Jesus, now the Spirit of God is going to live within you, and the Spirit of God is going to empower you to proclaim and represent me in the world. You're not by yourself. I was reminded this week of when my kids were real small, when they were toddlers. One day we were at the pool with them, and my son was uh, trying to get onto the little slide at the pool. And he was still small enough that that little slide seemed really tall. And so I was watching from the bottom. I was in the pool, I was watching from the bottom. And I would see him go up the little ladder and I'd see his head pop up and he'd walk right up to the edge. And then he'd turn around and go right back down the stairs again. And then he'd go back up. And then he'd look down and then he'd go right back down. And of course, by this point, there are 15 other toddlers lined up waiting for their turn. To go up and down in fear. And so I'm trying to coax him. From the bottom. And I remember I, I was going to get out. And I was going to climb up. And go down it. So I climb up the ladder. And of course the lifeguard goes. You can't do that. That, that slide is for, for small people. Not for you. Right? The implication was. I might break it. Right? But I thought wouldn't it be great. If I could get right behind him. And slide down with him. Then what seemed terrifying. Would be something he could conquer. This is where the disciples are. Jesus is about to launch them out. Into the world. And they're terrified. But Jesus says I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. So he says I will send the spirit. And what does the spirit do? The spirit will remind you what Jesus said. The Spirit will remind you who Jesus is. The Spirit will empower you with the courage and with the faith and with the boldness. And the truthfulness to walk into a world of chaos, of fear, of death, of sin, of sickness. The Spirit goes with you so that you can proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is preparing a place for those who will trust in Him. That all who will come can have eternal life. And until Jesus returns, our task is to walk into the darkness. And proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. But we don't go alone. And so what we do day by day, hour by hour, even in the midst of a crisis like our world is facing, especially in the midst of a crisis like our world is facing, is each day we come before the Lord. We say, God, where are the places that you want to lead me today? Who are the people you want me to see, to notice? Who are those in my neighborhood? Who are those that I'm friends with on social media, who are those in my workplace who need to hear the message of Jesus, who are ready to hear the message of Jesus, who are afraid and worried about life and death. You say, God, guide me through your spirit. Because I'm afraid. I'm often afraid. And I'm sure you're afraid too. Just like the disciples were afraid. And what I love about this passage is how gracious Jesus is with them. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? Just like you would walk a child across the street holding their hand. says, I'm going to walk with you as you go into the darkness. There's this tenderness, but also this gentle push to say, what I have given to you now extend to others. And I'll empower you for the task. So let me ask a couple of quick questions then as we close. First one is this. Do you believe that Jesus is the way? Do you believe that Jesus is the way? There is no better time than today to wrestle with questions of life and death. Do you know where your eternity will be? Do you feel confident that whether it's today, whether it's as a result of something that happens in the next week or month, or whether you live for another 80 years, do you know that when the day comes when you are called to meet your Maker, that you can say in confidence, I have placed all my hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your Son, for eternal life? Do you believe that Jesus is the way? And do you have that confidence of life? And then for those who do believe it, will you proclaim that Jesus is the way? Despite our fear, despite our anxiety, despite the chaos around us, will you and I walk into the darkness and shine the light, knowing that the Spirit goes with us? Blake Jennings is going to come up now, and he's going to provide for us some very practical ways, right now, in the midst of this current pandemic, for us to be a light, for us to proclaim and represent Jesus in our neighborhoods and in our community as we follow him.
2: Thank you, Matt. Just going to give you guys a few ideas for how you can live out these truths that Matt has been talking about this coming week. Uh, The first idea for you just to be thinking about, if Jesus is the truth, let's make sure that each of us are a beacon of truth ourselves. There's a whole lot of misinformation and rumors flying around out there. Let's make sure we're not sharing that. Instead, let's be examples of truth to the world. Anytime you want to share or speak something, please just practice good wisdom Check your sources and go straight to the experts. For medical advice, go straight to the CDC's website. For local directives, go straight to local officials. Go straight to KBTX or the Eagle. We want to make sure that as a community, we're fostering the truth in this time of crisis. Second idea for you, as Brian mentioned earlier in our service, we encourage you to be a sharer, not a hoarder. It is human nature that in a moment of crisis, we're going to try to hoard. We need to fight that and remember that Jesus, in his moment of crisis, he gave away his life for others. He did not hoard life for himself. So when you're at HEB, don't buy more than you need. Instead, think about how you can share your resources with people who are in need. And it would seem that in a midst of a crisis like this, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to face economic hardship, with many students staying away, with sporting activities canceled, entertainment events canceled. There's going to be a lot of of small businesses suffering, hourly workers who are losing wages, a lot of people are going to need help. This is an amazing opportunity for Jesus' people to be open and generous with their resources. So we encourage you to be open and generous with your savings and with your surpluses to help those who are going to be in great need in the weeks to come. Another really practical idea, if, if you have the capacity to help others with childcare, there's some families who aren't going to be able to miss work. They're going to need help. So anything you can do to help your neighbors, to share with them, means a lot, and it shows the love of Jesus in a really tangible way. Third idea for you, very practical idea, if you live in a neighborhood in particular... Look for ways that you can help your elderly and vulnerable neighbors. We encourage you to band together with other neighbors around you and check in on all the elderly in your neighborhood or apartment complex, also those who are immunocompromised and might be locked down. Find out, do they have local friends and family checking on them and caring for them if they don't? then would you consider contacting them each and every day by phone, text, or email? Check in on them. See how they're doing. See if there's anything that they need. This is an opportunity for us to to go shopping for them, run errands for them, and help them in a moment of great crisis. It's an incredible opportunity to show the love of Christ. Final idea for you, really practical. If you find yourself in this crisis needing help, let us encourage you, please reach out and ask. We're here to help you. Moments of crisis like this, they can cause economic hardship, like I already mentioned. They can also cause an ongoing battle with anxiety or depression or loneliness to intensify. And so if you're out there and you find yourself really needing help, please don't hesitate to ask. We're here for you. Please call or email us. If you're already in a community group, a home church, or a Sunday school, your leader is your first point of contact. Please go to them. They're ready to stand with you and help you through this. So please, don't suffer in silence. Reach out. We're a family. We're here to help one another. So please find ways to, to put some of these ideas in practice this week. Now we're gonna end in worship together
1: praise you this morning and we know that that because we believe in jesus for endless days we will sing your praise we thank you for jesus how he's making a place for us and we anticipate the day when we will live together with with you forever and in the meanwhile make us faithful representatives and proclaimers of jesus christ in whose precious name we pray these things amen Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Please keep an eye on our social media accounts as well as your email for information about the upcoming weeks and what we plan to do. Uh, And God bless you. Uh, We're praying for you this week. Go in his grace.